0: This episode is brought to you in partnership with Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary, which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. They are fully accredited by the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries. You can learn more about them at their website, cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here. Jimothy, my co-host, is absentee. But that's okay because I have the privilege of interviewing someone far more excellent. Namely. Ryan Pendergraf, Pastor of First Baptist Church, Osceola, Missouri. So welcome to the podcast today, Ryan.
1: Well, thanks for the invitation. It's good to be back on again.
0: And Jimmy, if you hear this, just know we're playing. Nothing personal.
1: no, it's very personal. i'm not I'm not playing. He should have been here. We've been trying to get this scheduled since July. He should have been here, but that's all right. we'll We'll continue on.
0: Well, let us continue with uh, our first question today. We're going to be talking about uh, preaching through the book of Revelation, which you have been doing at your church. Um, Can you give our audience a primer to Revelation's canonical importance and literary importance?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, uh, which we'll probably address this a little bit later too, the book of Revelation has been a huge blessing to me and hopefully those who have said underneath the, the teaching or at least the the kind of teaching that I give of, of revelation. Uh, But as far as it's, it's primer to um, canonicity, the importance of its uh, canonical place is for, for one revelation bookends the entire Bible. Uh, where it begins in a garden and uh, of course in, in Eden it ends with very much the same imagery as uh, as man is placed back into if you will a a new garden uh, of course a, a better garden to where he will dwell with Christ and uh, and God eternally uh, the literary importance of it is and this is something I, I've tried to stress over and over because I've, i I don't take a literal approach to revelation as as we'll discuss later. And because I don't, some have you know kind of taken uh, taken uh, objective to that. <clears throat> and what I do, I, I always go back to the genre of writing, because right before revelation, and I think we started this back in. October. And I had just finished up going through the book of Daniel on Sunday evenings. And so I try to emphasize that Revelation is apocalyptic. It is uh, written to be taken very figuratively. In fact, just to uh, share a verse of scripture with you, John says in Revelation one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then verse four. It says, "John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth." And so John begins this way, uh, this this letter, if you will, because Revelation is written to the churches. He begins it in the very same way that Daniel would begin his his narrative in that this that which is given to us these words of prophecy as John says in verse three come to us as that which is not to be taken literally the sign that John says has come to him is to be interpreted in a non-literal way and so What the sign points to, of course, is literal, but the signs themselves, and it's the same thing in Daniel, is not to be taken literally. And besides that, and this is why uh, literary genres, whenever we're reading through scripture, are actually quite important because they tell us how to interpret the text. Um, For instance, you have poetry, you have of epistles, or then you have narratives, and then you have what is here in Daniel and Revelation, apocalyptic literature. And to interpret Revelation as if you would, let's say we laid the the scripture out flat and we interpreted everything exactly the same in a very literal sense, then parts of scripture just don't make any sense. For instance, Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth. Is that to be taken literally? In Revelation chapter 20, Satan is bound with chains. Are those chains literal? And so those who say, well, to interpret Revelation figuratively is wrong, you must interpret literally, are usually those same ones who never interpret the book of Revelation literally. And so to interpret it literally, if I, if I could say, is to have a very inconsistent hermeneutic because we don't interpret Revelation the same way that we would interpret, for instance, a letter of of the Apostle Paul. And so understanding the the literary style, understanding Revelation's genre is very, very important. And And then in relating to its canonical importance, like I said earlier, Revelation just kind of, it, it provides the bookend. It it provides, if, if I could even say, the icing on the cake, uh, because really it takes the entire narrative of Scripture from Genesis to the ascent of Christ and throughout the church age, and it packs it nice and neat in 22 chapters.
0: Well, we've been talking about Uh, interpreting the book of Revelation, obviously important that we rightly interpret the book. If we're going to preach through the book or uh, as you have been preaching through the book, let's, let's move on to you specifically. What millennial view are you convinced is the most biblical? Uh, Can you explain to our audience, the view that you take and how you think that affects the way that you are preaching through the book of Revelation? Mm
1: -hmm. I take the all millennial view of um, of the ask, out of the four major eschatological views, I hold to the the all millennial, and I think all millennial is oftentimes misunderstood, because people see that uh, prefix all, and they think, well, no, all means no, and so no millennium. This guy doesn't believe that there is a millennium, and of course that that isn't the case. Um, I do believe in a millennium, just. A spiritual millennium, which runs from the time that Christ is his death, burial, resurrection is and ascension until the time that he returns is the millennial age of the church. And so that's that's the view that I hold to. And of course, as I've already kind of explained, Revelation, uh, you know, it, it tells the story of of the church. It tells about persecution, it tells of victory, it tells of suffering, it tells of, you know, the defeat of God's enemies, all of which take place in the, you know, in the inter-advental times of Christ's first coming and his second coming. And, and I'm trying to look at the the questions again, so that way I make sure I don't jump ahead. But let me just give you one for instance. This is off of uh, recent memory because we are actually at the end of chapter 14. And chapters 12 and 14, they they make a a complete section. And I'm not going to read it all, but just to kind of highlight chapter 12. John sees a great sign appearing in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, on her head a crown of 12 stars. All right, so we, we have this woman and she's in labor. She's experiencing birth pains. And standing before her is a dragon who John tells us is Satan. And so, you know, going back to the do I interpret it figuratively or do I interpret it literally? You know, there's a, a great, um, I guess, truth or uh, what I would say is truth in interpreting Revelation is interpret everything figuratively unless you're told to interpret it literally. And here we are you know uh, exactly told that this dragon is Satan and he stands before this woman who is laboring in birth pains and he is seeking to devour her child. Now of course the child is not devoured he is he is born, he lives and then in verse 5 it says that this child was caught up to God to his throne and the woman fled to the wilderness Where God uh, nourishes her for 1260 days. Now, during this time, there arose a war in heaven, and this dragon is cast down uh, from the presence of God in order that he might no longer accuse the brethren. And as he is cast down, John says that he becomes even more furious. He is furious, we are told, because he knows that his time is short. And so he goes on to attack this woman who has had this child and it says and the rest of her offspring and so what we have in in chapter 12 is a very clear detail oriented picture of what the entire book of revelation sets out to do in seven different cycles of visions we have a woman who represents israel And she is in labor pains, bringing forth the Messiah. And Satan tries to devour this child. We read about in the Garden of Eden, even as Satan tempts Adam and Eve. And we have the Proto-Evangelium, the the first gospel in Genesis 3.15, which promises that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And we see that as Satan is cast out uh, from the presence of God. And so just in short, because I I don't want to give a sermon on this, but in short, what we have is a time just slightly before the coming of Christ, to his birth, to his death, in which Satan is cast out of heaven, to his ascension, which this child is caught up to God. And then as Satan is cast down, he becomes furious and begins to persecute the woman who is now uh, represented by the church because it says that this woman produces many offspring and of course we know that we are uh, we are brothers or christ is our elder brother Uh, we are children of god and therefore the the church now is this woman in the later part of revelation 12 who the uh the dragon goes on to persecute and this dragon then goes on in, in chapters 12 and 13 he recruits or excuse me, 13 and 14, he recruits the, the beast out of the sea and then the false prophet from the land. And then it, it concludes in chapter 14 with the judgment of God. And so from 12 to 14, what we have, what we have the birth of Christ and then we have the judgment. And everything in between is the church age. And that's that's what Revelation does. In every cycle of vision, it tells us that the same um, same thing, really, from a different perspective. And chapters 12 through 14 just happen to give us perhaps the most detailed perspective of the the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare that takes place behind the suffering and persecution which takes place in our day. And so that is the reason why I hold to the all millennial view, uh, because I don't see, uh, for one, a rapture in Scripture. I don't see a premillennial return of Christ and there being a literal millennial reign because scripture clearly teaches us that whenever Christ returns, that is the end. And there is no more history beyond the judgment of Christ whenever he returns. And so for these reasons, that's why I hold the all millennial view. I don't it's not that I don't believe that there's a millennium, I just I spiritualize it and believe that the millennial reign of Christ is now, that that Satan is currently bound and that the saints spiritually are reigning with Christ.
0: What is recapitulation and why is the word important for understanding the book of Revelation? Uh, so how does biblical theology help us? Uh, come to these conclusions that we've been mentioning.
1: Goes from uh, chapters, so we have chapters one through three, right? And so chapters one through three tell us about the seven churches. Chapters four through five give us this view of God on his throne and the lamb who is, uh, who is worthy to take the scroll and, and to open its seals and carry out the judgment on the earth. And then we have the seven seals and then we have seven uh, trumpets and then chapters 12 through 14 give us a detailed picture of what takes place behind the seals and the trumpets Uh, chapters 15 through 16 are seven bowls Um, and then chapters 19 and and 20 or excuse me 18 through 20 really tell the same story again from a, a different perspective And one of the, I guess, another example that I could give is in Revelation chapter 19. We are told that Christ returns and he destroys the nations. And then in chapter 20, we are told that Satan is bound so that he may no longer deceive the nations. But if the nations are destroyed in chapter 19, then how is Satan bound in order that he may not deceive them in chapter 20? Well, it's because the visions have started all over again. We've started again at the first advent of Christ, and we're working our way to the second return of Christ. And so that's what recapitulation is.
0: Um, for our audience, it was my fault. I accidentally cut Ryan out. Uh, I got the example of you giving examples of recapitulation. I didn't get the first part of what you're saying. Could you uh, repeat to our audience, what is recapitulation?
1: Recapitulation is is just a, you know a, a very short way of saying that John, the visions that he sees, he receives seven visions. All of these visions are the same. Now they may have greater detail in certain visions, but what he's doing is he is covering the time of the first advent of Christ to the second advent of Christ, and he does this seven times uh, throughout the book of Revelation.
0: Okay, good, good, good. Uh, Moving our conversation on to perhaps a more pastoral perspective, what led you to preach through the book of Revelation and why should a pastor consider preaching through this book?
1: One of the the things that led me to preaching through Revelation, um, probably first of all, and of course preeminently, is because. It is part of the canon of scripture. I mean, so we just talked about the the importance of its canonicity. And so it's there. And we are, as pastors, we are called to preach the whole counsel of God. The second thing is where I am at, where I am serving, um, there are some in our congregation that are... Uh, they've probably given themselves over to what is referred to as hyper-dispensationalism. And I, I, you know, I I just, I I grow weary of uh, people, for instance, having, and we'll address this here in just a minute, but having a newspaper eschatology to where they want to make uh, the world line up with scripture or the scripture line up with the world instead of vice versa and so they look and they see what's going on and without even really consulting their their bibles uh, they just automatically assume that this is what has taken place in the book of of revelation and so i would say first on a pastoral uh, basis is that we are commanded to preach the whole counsel of god second because of those that i've encountered not just only in my own congregation but also just around the community that there is a a bent towards hyper dispensationalism which i believe is is entirely wrong um and then thirdly if i were just to be honest you know i i was up for the challenge Uh, you know you hear i've heard pastors say "I'm, i'm afraid to preach through revelation you know, I just, I won't do it. And I said, well, I'll do it. And because I, I think that, for one, as being the word of God, people need to hear it. And two, that um, it's actually not that difficult to understand. And so there is there is edification to be had by it.
0: What commentaries have you found uh, resourceful as you've preached through the book of Revelation? And additionally, what challenges have you faced while preaching through this book?
1: Uh, commentaries, I use uh, Dennis Johnson. Uh, in fact, I, I had it. Uh, the What is the name of it? Uh, well, I use Vern uh, Poitras, The Returning of the King. Um, Dennis Johnson's has something to do, I think, with the triumph of the Lamb. Um, I use, of course, probably one of my primary resources is G.K. Beale's uh, commentary on Revelation. I use uh, Joel Beakey. Of course, his is more of a, it's not really a commentary, it's more of a sermon type format. Uh, And then I like using, Dennis John, uh, not Dennis Johnson. Uh, My goodness. Hang on a second. I use so many Richard Phillips commentary on revelation, which, okay. So if I would have, if I were to put these in categories, I would say that um, GK Beale's commentary is, is more for those who are familiar with, with Greek and who really want to dive into the technicalities of the scriptures. Where um, the other, Richard Phillips is going to be more of a uh, more of a layman's commentary. And so I, I usually like to read those two side by side to have uh, more of a, a technical commentary in which you know I, I'm trying to use Greek and then uh, for more of a, an application or applicable commentary, I'll use Richard Phillips. but so I use uh, primarily four of them, two of which, um, are probably my favorite.
0: And then challenges.
1: Oh, yeah. The challenges was, well, just what I said. and Not too many people hold to hyperdispensationalism. And what hyperdispensationalism is, in case anyone doesn't know, uh, at least in the way that I've encountered it, is the belief that there are two gospels, that there is a gospel which Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, and then there is a gospel which Paul preached, and that is a gospel of grace. Um, And then hyper dispensationalists, you know, they don't see the church forming in the Book of Acts until after Paul's conversion, and uh, and so there there's a lot of that 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 takes place. And so as I'm preaching, I there's some who are hyper dispensational who will come against me, and then there are just your more MacArthurite. Types of dispensationalists uh, who have, you know, voiced their uh, their struggles with with following me through the book of Revelation because they disagree with a lot of the things that I that I say, and so it's it's been been really hard uh, in that regard to preach through this book in a way that I believe is is in line with how it should be interpreted when there are so many who, um, you know, have been taught what I would believe the, the wrong way. And then you have those who are just, you know, like with any other series that you go through, who are just, they're just there. They don't disagree. They don't agree. They're, they're just there. And so, um, I mean, sa- revelation is a message of salvation and judgment. And so it's definitely one that, that all people need to hear, and so whenever you look out and people are, are kind of checked out, it it's it becomes discouraging. But I would say that the greatest challenge has been in trying to convince those who are raised up in dispensational theology um, that that I don't believe that revelation leans towards dispensationalism at all. Uh, it's a differently. It's a, it's an entirely different interpretive method. It's a different hermeneutic than the one that i take and so that that's probably that's the most challenging Mm
0: -hmm. well piggybacking off of that and you alluded to it previously in an answer let's get into it what are your thoughts on newspaper eschatology uh is it harmful is it wrong and why so
1: yeah it's it's all of the above it's wrong it's harmful um it's harmful for one, because it doesn't do justice to the text. And so, well, just to use the most current example, uh, we had just got done with uh, you know, Revelation 13. And Re- Revelation 13 talks about the mark of the beast. You know, what what is the mark of the beast? and uh, And then, of course, there are some people who will pull up Um, newspaper articles or web page articles talking about these chip implants, right? And so they're they're worried about the chip implants. They're worried about credit cards. They're worried about all these things because this is the, to them, this is the mark of the beast. Well, first, it does extreme harm to those who John is talking to because those who John is talking to aren't going to have any idea what a credit card is, right? So how is it relevant to the audience that John is writing to? Well, if you're talking about microchips and if you're talking about debit cards, it's not relevant to them at all. And therefore, uh, there is no message for the first century Christian. And so that in itself is harmful. Two, because we misinterpret it, it doesn't do us any good spiritually either. Because whenever you look at the mark of the beast, we are told that the 144,000 are those who receive the mark of God on their forehead and in their hands. And then we are told that the mark of, of the beast also goes on the forehead and the hand. And so, well, what are we being told? Well, we're being told that you either belong to God or you follow Satan. You either are a Christian. Or you are unconverted. And this is the exact same thing that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1, where whenever he says that the Holy Spirit is the seal, the same word being used, he is a mark of our salvation. We have received him, and therefore God preserves us, God keeps us, uh, he protects us spiritually, he doesn't let us fall, all of which would have been completely missed if we just make the mark about a microchip. And so again not only do we take relevance away from the first century but because we do it becomes irrelevant to us on a you know spiritually speaking and so in that way newspaper theology or excuse me newspaper eschatology is is both wrong and harmful because it doesn't do justice to the interpretation of scripture and it doesn't edify anybody by making the text say things that it doesn't mean
0: uh, this next question is definitely a change of pace. Probably, uh, as I was preparing these questions, the most difficult one that I thought you would be asked, um, how would you outline the book of Revelation if you were going to recommend somebody would study it or preach it? Or if you were mm-hmm. to uh, give your outline to somebody, what would it be?
1: Outline them by the seven cycles. You
0: know, okay. So chapters
1: one through three, four through five, uh, six through eight, nine through 11, 12 through 14, 15 and 16, 17 through 19, and then 20
0: through 22. Okay. And uh, go back and check out our question on recapitulation to learn more about the seven cycles. Um, yeah. I guess our last, uh, our last question that we have for you, Ryan, is, what encouragements would you give to the reader of this book and or listener to people that are listening to your sermons?
1: Hmm. Well, the same encouragement that I give, or at least try to remind people, is Revelation 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is the only book, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the only book that guarantees blessing for those who read it. Just by reading it, the book of Revelation is is a blessing. And so the first encouragement is, you know, get into the word of God, get into Revelation, because it promises that just by reading it, you will be blessed. And so we... Uh, we are promised blessing, and then also we are told to, to keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And so the book of Revelation comes to us as promising not only blessing, but also promising us victory in Christ. And that is what we have to look forward to as Christians.
0: Hmm. Well, Ryan, thank you for taking your time to uh, talk about this important book of the Bible and this important topic of discussion.
1: Hey, well, thanks again for for the questions and having me on the show.
0: For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.